0: welcome to creation conversations with joe hubbard and john Mackay. join us each week as we answer your questions and common objections to the bible creation and noah's flood we hope you enjoy the show Um, well, I was going to say, well, welcome back, John. It's good to see you. Uh, good to see you again for our first Creation Conversations. The last broadcast we did went so well, we thought we uh, ought to really try it again and uh, make this a, a weekly feature, which is what we've now done. So we've upgraded some stuff, and it's good to see you back. Um, I'm going to start with a with a question, John. We want to try and make this as multi-faceted uh, as we as we can. And discusses many different topics and we like to be a bit controversial so i'm going to start here with a question it's a it's a it's an age-old question john uh, is the pope catholic
1: <laughs> well he definitely is in the sense that if you look at the conflict that gave rise to the reformation it's over the authority of scripture so mm-hmm. martin luther's on one side of the fence saying god's word is true the whole scripture becomes our rule for faith and practice and then the papacy has gone with tradition becomes our rule for faith and practice. One is man-based, one is scripture-based. So it shouldn't be surprising to notice that in the last couple of weeks, the Pope's got some climate change headlines because he thinks if yeah. all the ice melts, there's going to be another Noah's flood.
0: Yeah, well, this is a uh, a post that was published just a couple of days ago um, by The uh, the Independent, which is a well-known uh, uh, British Uh, Newspaper: Humanity faces great flood caused by climate crisis, uh, says Pope Francis. And here's, I'll just read out some of the quotes because they're quite interesting and quite revealing. Um, It says Pope Francis said that the flood was due—that's Noah's flood—he's talking about here—was due to God's wrath against injustice against Satan and against evil and he goes on to say the Catholic leader appeared to invoke the Bible story in order to draw attention to the potential impacts of worsening global heating the Pope said that nations face a great deluge perhaps due to a rise in temperature and the melting of the glaciers what will happen now if we continue down the same path so uh, it certainly seems that the Pope is sort of pushing, uh, you know, the climate agenda that's been going around for so long now. But uh, again, we mentioned this on our last stream, and it's interesting how he also uh, mentions this point of global warming as opposed to climate change, global heating. So he's also jumped on the 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 trend which has come back around again about global warming.
1: There's no doubt about it. Um, if you analyse what the Popes have believed over the past hundred years it has a huge impact of whatever's popular out there. Mm. So instead of saying the Bible says, um, you know, Billy Graham's famous line, the Bible says, or uh, uh, it is recorded in scripture that it's always moderated by, well, if this happens, if climate change is real, if we call it global warming, if it does melt, then you might get a flood like Noah's day. The implication being Noah's flood also had a global warming uh, conundrum even though it was largely a moral judgment by god against mankind for man's evil i don't remember noah's flood ever being sent to judge satan at all now but then that's a traditional uh bit of information that you've got to distinguish between catholics and protestants you won't add anything to the bible So don't add judgment on Satan where the Bible doesn't mention any judgment on Satan. Do reflect the fact that the judgment in Noah's day was both global, but it was a moral judgment, had nothing to do with climate change. It was the first climate change because it began to rain and it hadn't. And it had nothing to do with drowning the world because glaciers were melting. There's no glaciers in the Bible until the days of Job.
0: And it's interesting as well how you can kind of see where the Pope stands on the authority of Scripture for a few different reasons. The first one he's talking about you know a great flood, a flood that'll wipe out humanity because of global warming, just like Noah's flood, despite the fact that the Bible has uh, explicitly states that God promised that a flood like that nature of that nature would never happen again. But it's interesting, and I haven't put the quotes up here, but I remember reading down through the article, and it talked about Noah's flood uh, wiping out known humanity. Uh, which is interesting because one thing that you'll find that the uh, uh, you know theistic evolutionists or the people who've clearly compromised on the word of God have been using is not global flood but universal flood. Uh, universal flood meaning that it wiped out all of people but didn't actually cover the whole world so you sort of read between the lines a little bit there but it certainly appears that the pope would say uh, or would be questioning whether or not um noah's flood was global in extent so it's interesting some of the different uh, uh opinions and sort of ideas that come across and it's amazing how connected the pope has now become not just to religious issues in the world but also to political issues in the world because he's going to or it's, it's certainly um uh, been sort of suggested that he's going to be a guest of honour at the UN Climate Summit, which is being held in Glasgow this year, so it's uh, it's really getting intertwined with all this political and controversial stuff, which is what we're here for we're here to discuss this, we're here to go through it, so um, yeah, we're looking forward to doing some more of this
1: we, we certainly are, and of course to the discouragement of some of our dear uh, supportive Catholic friends who say, well, but he's opposed to homosexuality, good years that's a biblical stand not a popular stand mm. and the Catholic Church traditionally surprisingly if you read three history books was straight down the line six day creation and Noah's flood and creation up until Darwin became popular and then you see the conflict whatever becomes popular out there if it's popular enough then the Pope as a leader tends to flow in that direction whether the laity do or not I've got some friends who work with the Catholic Church and they're really disappointed by the fact that he just gets dragged in every which way plus loose, despite the fact that they started off saying, but the Bible says I have to smile. I get invited into Catholic schools where there's a little country priest and he wants the kids to know the Bible is true. Right. So you've got to distinguish those two things. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I can see we've got a few people joining us now. So uh, do say hi in the chat and uh, ask your questions as we go. We're here. We're live. So we love to be uh, you know heckled and ask questions and stuff. It's great. Uh, it's great fun. But I thought um, this week's question, we're going to do this every single week. We're going to do a question of the week right where we'll be asking people throughout the week to give us their questions and we can bring in some of the old favorites as well and so if you ever have a question do stick it in it may well feature um in our in our weekly broadcast but our question this week is a, is a fairly controversial one john so i thought we might as well dive straight into it um Question of the week. I've got it up on the screen here. What is a biblical view on the COVID vaccine? Well, let me actually just bring up the full question that we have here because it's a fairly detailed one. Um, It says here, Many different creation and Christian ministries have given their opinion of the COVID vaccine in the last few weeks. The advice ranges from it's unchristian not to have the vaccine to it's unchristian to have the vaccine. What is a biblical view? Now, I know this is something that you've looked into a a, a great deal, John. So um, I'll uh, leave it to you to take this one and I'll comment along as we go.
1: Okay, thank you very much, Joseph Coward.
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is all on you.
1: The reality is we're playing good cop, bad cop here. Yeah. I'm getting the bad cop business at the moment because I've had to deal with this in the last week or so on radio uh, and all these sort of things. I've got a couple of weeks on the road. And as I said to Dr. Diane Eager, who's our medical biologist, I am going to be asked question after question about this. Please give us everything you know. Uh, so one, of the, some of the things we've discovered, um, there's a lot more scepticism about it out there than is officially allowed Mm -hmm. Uh, when you look at here in australia which is where i'm quoting from uh, this morning uh, we've had a very interesting phenomenon in the last week or two and that is the government and officialdom has come out and basically threatened almost with deregistration any medics or health uh, workers who've come out and said uh, they're not going to get the jab or it's not as dangerous uh, as it's supposed to be and you think Hang on, isn't this a little bit overboard? Why are they using such heavy tactics to shut down any criticism at all? It's been interesting to note in the media, they had a news item the other day on the military. Now, nobody in the military says the government will be compelled to actually have a COVID shot. Uh, Footnote right at the end of the news item. However, no soldier will be deployed without a COVID shot. You think, what? Uh, Now, that's not actually voluntary. I mean, why do you join the military except to be deployed? Uh, They're they're really saying if you don't get the shot, you can't go and shoot. Uh, So it's a hilarious, uh, hypocritical situation. The same is true. I had a young lady phone me up and, and she wanted to know, I've applied for a job with the government in healthcare, And they told me, unless I have a shot, I can't even get a job. So despite the fact that we have a government here in Australia saying it will not be compulsory for all practical purposes, it is compulsory. At the same time, and let me quote from this article here, this is out of the Australian. Now, that's one of our uh, slightly right of centre papers, Um, not too far right, but it's actually got some really good articles in it. And this one here is just from last week. It's by their uh, senior commercial editor. Uh, uh, Mr. Waterson. and what's interesting is he's done two or three articles on this COVID situation and when he first wrote on this basically all his critics and others said you'd better get some numbers you're just shooting your mouth off get some numbers so he's finally been able to do it now I don't know if you've tried to look up death rates from COVID or anything like that you find there's always a conflict uh, a, a sort of a conundrum where people died with COVID But anybody who died with COVID, whether they died of COVID, is listed automatically as death by COVID. Here's uh, what he's got printed. You can evaluate it for yourself. Here in Australia, this week's data, that's now one week old, from the Bureau of Statistics, covering January 1 to November 24, 2020, registers 126,974 deaths. Now, that's quite a lot of deaths. You know, it's tragic that we have this number of deaths anyway. But then he goes on and says this number of deaths must be measured against an average of one hundred and twenty seven thousand eight hundred and seventy two over the past five years. So if you take the past five years of deaths on average, we have lost more people in every year uh, except the COVID year. The COVID year has one thousand people less dying than the the average year and he's going on to say why are we shutting everything down if we are getting getting less deaths now as you can imagine i'm i'll, I'll, I'll guarantee they ran that through the lawyers they ran that through all of their officials because newspapers can be sued the government's threatening you a know, false information facebook cutting you off if you have false information about COVID. false according to who Well, I've gone to check the Bureau of Stats. I've gone, in fact, it was so hard to check the the number of deaths from COVID. I ended up doing it the following way. number of deaths, real hard to find number of cremations, number of burials, number of funerals, put it all together and work backwards. Mm. And yes, just so you think I'm not being too abstract. Two of my friends have died with COVID. Both had serious diabetes as complications before that. Interesting enough, their husbands both tested positive to COVID and had absolutely no symptoms whatsoever. So there's a sort of a a good provocative uh, introduction to it. Joseph, take it away with where you want to go.
0: Well, it's interesting um, going on it from a UK perspective, because we've had lots of reports on the on the deaths and so on and so forth, basically from the beginning. And you can sort of watch the spikes and the lockdowns and so on and so forth and see the kind of uh, events in it. But two, two thoughts that I've noticed from it. Um, the first one is when the media report on the daily deaths, and you can see it on the BBC, um, great big screen, 1,200 people died or whatever, right? And then underneath in the small print it says in the last 28 days or people who've died in the last 28 days um, who've had who've had COVID basically so if you've had COVID at any point in the last 28 days and you die you become part of that statistic whether you actually died of COVID or not and that's I think an important point that you need to make which the media is not really covering and the point that you made earlier um, there's a difference between dying of COVID and dying with COVID um, and a lot of the statistics that you're seeing being used is dying with COVID, not actually dying of COVID. Now, I know it's very difficult to sometimes determine whether you've died of COVID or not. In fact, you could almost argue that nobody dies of COVID. You die of pneumonia, which COVID uh, you know, brought on because you have a, a weak immune system and so on and so forth. Um, the other thing which is interesting, and it goes back to what you were saying about the media side of, side of things, uh, media is relatively, you know, the, the main media outlets are relatively closely monitored by uh, Ofcom and the like, the sort of the governing body in the UK who looks after the media. And big names like the BBC, especially the BBC, because they're sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's still part of a, a national sort of government um, funded, in a sense, institution. Uh, they've all been told you can only broadcast stuff in line of government uh, policies. So a lot of your media inlets, you know, most people don't know, like you and I, how to go to the papers and read down through the stuff and get the stuff and actually do some science or research on it. Most people are just being fed stuff directly from from the media side. So there is definitely a lot of this sort of hidden hidden media side of things. But I'm I'm really glad that we've got people like Diane Eager and people like I think you mentioned a. a, a close uh, professor friend of ours as well from Canada um, just before we were discussing who's got some some good comments on this as well specifically uh, from a peer-reviewed perspective
1: and um, there's no doubt about it one of the things I've done is check around with those amongst our crowd who you would sort of say have some sort of decent qualifications mm. and the email that comes back from Canada I simply asked are you going to have the shot his answer is no I've checked with some of our guys who are highly qualified in australia are you going to have the shot no now of course they'll have to fight it out with their their local distributors and their local enforcers and things like that because they may not be allowed to get on a Mm -hmm. plane after that Uh, there's all sorts of penalties that are both open as well as hidden but there's one other thing joseph that most people can't check and You know how you get some of these rumours and conspiracy theories about it's designed to kill off old people and all of that. Uh, I'm not into those sort of conspiracy theories, but I do do my best to check. So here's a personal bit of information. Not only have we got two of our closer friends who've died with COVID, whose husbands haven't had any symptoms whatsoever, which does suggest if we want to do any testing, we shouldn't just test to see if we've got it you should test for those who are already immune to it. There's something that needs to be done and mm-hmm. it would save an awful lot because 90, 98% of people recover anyway with no problems whatsoever. But there's another side of it. You see, uh, we, we run several museums around the planet. We've set up the creation research, the creation discovery network, right? And we'll talk about that for one and whole moment, show yeah. coming up in, in, yeah. in, 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 a, in a while. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what we've got, is one of our volunteers whose sister is in England and uh, his sister was in a retirement home, not sick, right? And of course, the thing is, get the old people immunised first. Um, well, she got the needle and one day later she's sick, five days later she's dead. Now, you go looking for that, go looking for that as data, you can't find it. Now, we don't even know it because the, the person involved is associated with us. And her son is also uh, in England. And his feedback is, since then, another 11 old people have died. Now, I can't even check that number except to say, is he telling the truth? But those sort of numbers should be allowed to be checked. At the moment, it seems like anything that would even hint in a negative fashion mm. or get this program banned off YouTube <laughs> or Facebook he or whatever he is knows. being shut down. And that's one of the most conspiratorial aspects of this. There definitely is a conspiracy to stop people being able to find out easily what's really going on.
0: It's like, in a sense, taking a biblical stand in general, you know, when whether you're doing something with young earth creation or whatever, oftentimes you get shut down uh, when, you're, you know, when you're in schools and universities and you try and challenge the theory of evolution or the millions of years, you get shut down even before you have a chance to even state your opinion, let alone try and give any evidence for it. And it's a similar kind of thing. And whenever you see stuff like that, you know, not not challenging people on evidence or not challenging people on uh, you know a good debate or looking all of the research and sort of getting a, a, an opinion on it when you just get shut down and not given any um platform to the alternative view in the slightest it's always fairly suspect in my opinion um well, and well, like well, you i don't buy into the whole conspiracy you know so on and so forth but there's there's an interesting uh, an interesting connection there
1: there is one thing that I, you could perhaps do after we finish the program joseph i asked the uh, professor could you send me any peer-reviewed papers on wearing of masks and the validity or otherwise of these things, right? And, um, I mean, even you, you, you go to church. Why don't I go to church? You've got to wear masks. I can't talk to anyone, can't sing, you know. Can't it's not take nice. Mask. What's the point, you know? And uh, so it might be useful if I sent you all of those links. Papers published in Nature, right? Mm. This, this mm. is not just trashy sort of low-grade stuff. This is high-grade stuff, and you could post them on the uh, site that's associated with this. I think that
0: sounds like a good
1: idea. That's a good idea. I'll send we'll that to you. We'll do some of that, course. definitely.
0: All right well let's move on from that question let's have a quick uh, a, a quick break and uh, talk about our featured resource of the week John um because i believe it's one that uh, you know quite well let's try and get it in front of the screen there there we go you may actually our viewers may actually recognise some of the cartoons as the cartoons that we use uh, for our creation conversations that've actually taken uh, our artist uh, Steve they did a fantastic job with this um what happened to the dinosaurs i mean you can actually see us there as well there's John Mackay. Uh, just here. I'm up here somewhere. Um, and you've got a couple of kids in there, John. Who are those kids? Yeah,
1: those kids are my grandkids. And this is hey. a, a real live cartoon trip to Jurassic Park, the world's most prestigious outdoor creation museum. Got Which, some good the stuff. By those of you Christians, please pray for more rain. We've only had one inch or so in the last month or two. We're down to just sort of that much water in our big dam to keep 10 hectares or... Uh, Twenty acres of plants growing because it's a botanic gardens as well. But in this book, we take you and show you the a travel a trip through Jurassic Arc and we actually uh, have in built into the book. We have inbuilt videos. So, where you see that little footprint in the top right, you see
0: this one just up here, folks. There we go, that little footprint. In fact, I've actually got a a video which we use, John. So, this book is designed with some some very, very great uh, tech people who came and helped us. Um, So, you get your smartphone, uh, you download a free app. You basically hold the smartphone over the book, you scan it, and the book comes to life with dinosaurs and all sorts of wonderful stuff. In fact, we've got a, a a video here that the software is always temperamental, but we'll try and play it and hopefully we don't get chucked off. But this is just a little sneak peek into one of the many different features that this book actually has. jurassic ark please keep your seat belt on at all times in a moving vehicle and do not feed the fossils there we go so that's uh, a nice little bit of uh, a bit of fun there so you get to on a, go on a real tour of a real tour of jurassic ark and actually um go and do some exploring and get to find out what really happened to the dinosaurs it's a really great new uh, kids book so um if people would like to uh, get that for themselves uh, you can very easily go to creationresearch.net uh, and you'll find links to the uk websites to the australian shops to the usa shops and they're all available up there a wonderful new uh, presentation book all in this wonderful comic style as well so really easy to uh, to follow along and go on an adventure to jurassic arc some good stuff and
1: they, they didn't die of covid
0: he didn't die of COVID. No, no, no. That's no no. no, <laughs> like I mean. right. no well, say right. you, if right. we, we, we don't want to say too much more, John, because we want people to go buy the book. So. Mm. <laughs> there we go all right we've got um a little bit of time for one or two more things so uh let's uh let's talk very briefly i think we ought to do a whole um a whole show if you like on the on the museums project but i've got a, a fossil which you might like which is fairly new into our collection john i know that you uh you particularly like these fossils um can you tell us what that is
1: um from this, and this you end, want to spot it here. looks like a french um
0: pectin shell that's exactly what it is. Yeah, French from France, very, very famous site, very famous shells and uh, and a pectin shell. Now, I know um, you probably remember this down at Ostcliffe uh, a year or two back. Uh, uh, in fact, one of the first field trips that I, I did with you after Hunstance and we went down there and we were finding, albeit a little bit smaller than these, but we were finding these down in the uh, south part near Bristol on the south coast of the UK. Um, and I remember you saying how you, you loved the pectins and specialize with them in your collection and we've actually ended up getting some wonderful specimens like this in our museums collection i'll just put a photo up for everybody there to see this is the most recent Uh, photo of our collection Uh, believe it or not there are an estimated and I say estimated because we haven't gone through and catalogued them all as you can see Um, they are all just sort of (laughs) sitting there Uh, we have an estimated 10,000 fossils and artifacts and display pieces ready to go on display Uh, and the Lord is really uh, doing some good stuff in the UK at the moment with our museums project and you also mentioned earlier John how we're going to try and set up this network across the entire world Mm -hmm really exciting stuff but um well let's see let's see how much we can get out of this uh, out of this shell for a second i'll say one piece of evidence uh, that supports the bible and then how about you have a go john and see if you can okay, come up with another piece. i'm going to start with well let's have a look at the shell itself can you see it's two halves like that Two halves, one half, one half. This is called a, a bivalve, which is a sort of the the, the, the family um, of the shell, and it's called a bivalve because it has two it has two halves. By they're joined together at a hinge, which is down on this part, and they open and close a bit like a like a like a clam or a cockle, and they sort of clap themselves along the sea floor. Um, now, for those who know a little thing or two about clams and scallops and so on and so forth, can you see how this is closed? It's closed shut tightly shut now when clams like this die and cockle shells like this die and all sort of bivalves die one of the characteristic things is they're being held together by a ligament at this end here Uh, they've got a muscle which holds them tight and when they die that begins to rot it begins to ferment and they open up very very quickly uh, after death so they open up and then the waves and so on and so forth walk them around and most time if you were to go walking along the beach to pick these up they're found in two halves they're not closed together um, the fact that they open very quickly after they die shows that this clam has been buried while it's been alive and you know as well as I do John that's uh, hundreds and thousands if not millions of these things are found just in France alone uh, billions of them all across the world And so, hey, this has been buried very, very quickly in sediments that were flowing very quickly and actually caught up the clam and trapped it and buried it and fossilized it uh, before it could even die and ferment and open up. So this is evidence of wonderful evidence of rapid fossilization and rapid burial while it was still alive. Um, And these beds go all around the world, as you know, Uh, it's good evidence of a global flood. What about you, John? Can you think of anything else evidence-wise?
1: One of my friends who was doing his PhD almost swapped instantly after we found a fossil shell, and when we opened it up, it stank. Except the rock was supposed to be 40 million years old, and his conclusion, you should have seen the look on his face. That's not possible. That's just not possible that this can have tissue in. It can't be 40 million years old. But then again, if you thought about it, it was buried really fast. The shell had reacted instantly as they do today, and it shut, but it was buried so deeply and so fast, it couldn't get enough energy to open itself up. Mm -hmm. Now, we know enough about these shells to know how deeply they were buried because they can dig themselves out of the mud. They get buried all the time. I mean, they live on the bottoms of. Uh, Of oceans where mud will flow down an underwater hill. They live at the mouth of rivers where water can wash out mud and sediment and cover them up. And we know that they can dig a hole three meters, nine feet, through the mud. So to bury these, you need you need at least two to three meters of mud coming in instantly. So when you ask what could do that, the answer has to be some sort of catastrophe. And the bigger the bed the bigger the catastrophe so people shouldn't be surprised that our friend who actually saw and smelt this rotten shell also didn't take too long to become convinced of Noah's flood because Mm. this pectin shell was found in a coal seam ah mixed fossils too mixed fossils so that's my contribution there
0: I can think of one other thing just to mention, and uh, we've actually got some comments coming through as well, so uh, we'll deal with them in a second. Um, This is a pectin shell, John, and I, I briefly alluded to earlier, if you go looking for pectin shells today, they're in two halves. And most people may have made that connection, but I wonder how many people made the connection that, hey, they're still alive today. This is a living fossil. Living fossil was a term um, coined by Charles Darwin, who said they really ought to be anomalies. You shouldn't find too many of them. The reality is we find them all over the world in all various different uh, taxonomic groups. And um, this is a living fossil. So you can, even if you want to believe that this is millions of years old, which of course we don't, but even if you want to believe that, all you've proven is that for however many millions of years, um, pectin shells have evolved into pectin shells. In other words, they haven't changed in the slightest. They've been doing exactly what God told them to do when he created them, which is reproduce after their own kind. So there's just a very tiny little example, a snippet uh, of some of the collection that we have and representing the collections around the globe. So um, that's our good friend, George Bond has uh has come in to say hi good morning gentlemen what a great commentary uh fire and ice is full of geological evidence for um a cyclical climate uh so fire and ice it's good to see you by the way george fire and ice is our new documentary on climate uh you can uh, go and watch it at creationresearchlive.com and you are able to stream it the dvds are in production they'll be ready very soon i believe that the mp4 um is uh just about ready to go out so you can go and download the mp4 as well and stream it and download it and share it with your friends and tell them about it so they can come onto to and watch it as well so thanks very much for that uh, for that george we've got one question that's uh just come in. Let's see if we can quickly uh, comment on it before we finish up, because we've reached the half an hour mark. Um, I've seen articles showing deep lava plumes under Greenland. Did you assess this for Iceland? Um, the answer, the quick answer is yes, we did. Um, the reason it's not included in the uh, uh, in the documentary is for numerous reasons. Um, The biggest one being we ran out of time. It was already an hour and a half long. And uh, we actually collected well over, uh, I think I can't remember the exact number. It was was well over 20 hours worth of footage um, from Iceland and the UK for this documentary. So we're hoping that like a mini series or something could come out of it as well. Both the geology, we spent a lot of time at Giza National Park. We spent a lot of time looking at the fossils and stuff. And we had a specific uh, point that we were trying to get across we wanted to go and actually visit some of the lava plumes because they are in, uh, they are in Iceland, and we visited so the outskirts of a few. We weren't able to travel down into them um, because being COVID and having no tourists, most most of them were shut. But uh, it's certainly something we assessed and can pull stuff together on. So we're looking forward to um, to, to to doing more of that stuff in the future as well. All right, well, I think that's just about brought us to the end. We want to try and keep these at half an hour long, nice and short and snappy. So thank you very much, everybody, for coming and watching. Thank you very much for all the comments you've made. Join us next week. Um, I'm actually, we've got a a, a nice thing lined up for next week. We're going to be uh, away from the Creation Research Centre. We're going to be on the road, and we're going to be trying to find some fossils. So um, hopefully, be looking for some good stuff. Same time next week, and uh, goodbye from me. John, any final words?
1: Uh, no I'll be away too I'll be in Adelaide so we'll be able to catch each other courtesy of this electronic world which is absolutely wonderful and I'll also be near one of the best fossil shell deposits down in South Australia catch you then
0: excellent well as always you can support us find out more creationresearch.net goodbye folks god bless and we will see you very shortly